0: sorted things like that to uh temporarily free up bandwidth, you know.
1: Well I'm, we're we're live because I'm doing it just on my phone.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh yeah that's that's the uh, the issue with the apples. You'll you'll you know they'll they'll work themselves out though hopefully. I think uh, check the updates too. The updates come in and it might be a riverside update issue as well. Yeah, but, uh, I think yes, it's just indeed. my
1: five year old computer update issue.
0: For sure, um,
1: which is which is no good. But like you said, but I'm to eventually example, just gonna move on to. I like the Apple phone and computer because of AirDrop, right. and it's just so easy to move things between them. And then Laura's phone, my phone exactly. keeps the quality.
0: I'm not going to bullshit one IOTA. Uh, there's features, software in Apple that are just uh, phenomenal, and that's why people go to them. I mean, there's a reason why they are worth that, and that's because there's just features like that that are just airdrops and all kinds of stuff like that that are really awesome. And um there's no real equivalent exactly on a PC. There's there's ones that imitate it, and you could set it up to do it like it, but nothing as easy and as smooth as set up as, Logging into two Apple devices and then swapping shit between them. There's, it's just smooth as butter. So that is something really cool about, um, about Apple devices. But, uh, to give you an idea with the PC and and another thing is too is like, is you have to learn a whole new software operating system on both the phone and the PC. So once uh, a lot of times when people get going one direction, they stay that direction. Uh, not mm-hmm. to say that you can't, and it's not, it's certainly not, it's easier than it ever was, especially back in the nineties, they were like way different. So it was much more difficult, but they're, they've blended somewhat in terms of their operating systems and they do similar features. So you'll be surprised how easy you'll be able to pick it up and how easy I pick up the Mac stuff. But uh, the, uh, uh, the difference is really with the hardware, they really make the hardware difficult to upgrade, change, swap out, et cetera. And, um, In return, you get this great software environment that doesn't have any conflicts or anything. But what I've done for years is I have, like, a core PC, a good CPU, and a good motherboard. And then the other parts, the SSDs, the GPUs, I just swap them out over time. And I can keep that core for a good – I I keep it for 10 years. I have a 10-year plan, basically, with my CPU and motherboard, and then I swap it out every 10 years. But otherwise, the GPUs, they need upgrades more often. And the SSDs are your hard drives basically, and those get full and, you know, the files get bigger all the time. So I often get a bigger, uh, especially like recently, uh, the memory prices were on sale. So I bought some sick SSDs and that's just one of those things where like, if you have a two terabyte in your, uh, in your, uh, computer, your Mac computer, but you want a four terabyte, you either have to send it in and pay all this like warranty refresh fees or if you're out of warranty, the repair fees. And with me, I just literally went on Amazon and bought the four terabyte yeah. and swapped it in the computer and everything worked fine. So it's that kind of stuff that really helps a lot. You get a core base of your build and then you can just add and swap parts to your build. Makes it just super, super nice as a tech person. And really the swapping of the SSDs and stuff, it's, they, they call it like, uh, Legos for adults. It's super, it's not, it's not complicated. Uh, but it's really easy. Uh, it's definitely something but, to consider on your next buy, on your next software build. I'm going to have you help me build a PC. I'm going mm-hmm. to have you
1: help me build a PC. There's certain things that I prefer to do than other things. things. So that's what prefer you, can to do. Like, so that you can come in and Which be like, so help me actually build out a PC. Which is so cool about PCs is that you can customize them. Which is so cool about PCs is that you can customize them.
0: Yes, exactly. That's a compartment compartment to align them how you want them. Uh, I just did a build for Jen and Kean and they had specific requirements. They want to do some basic 3D modeling and some gaming. And so I was able to build a really sick uh, uh, setup for them just specific to that. But if you want to do video editing and other stuff, that that is a different set of uh, hardware that is uh, better for that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's you can build a build just for that. No, that so that is sweet.
1: cool. Huh. Oh, that, that is so cool. what else has been going on with you? Huh. What have you, what, so what interesting been things have you been seeing on the or the anything? Twitter verse
0: or. Yeah. Or I, well, of course the, uh, the, the big thing in some circles oh. is the Epstein documents are finally oh. getting released. So you're seeing the, for the first time, a list of who was all at the Island. And, and this is just a, this is just a high level list. It's not even a comprehensive list. It's just, um, whoever they were able to catch through the net, essentially. And, um, yeah, it should be real interesting. I'm, I, I don't expect too many surprises. Uh, some people do, but uh, I, I expect, you know, some some uh, a few surprises, but nothing too crazy. But, uh, yeah, I've just been uh, practicing my cooking, actually. I've been uh, trying to focus on being a better cook, so I've been working folks on that. But in terms of uh, politics stuff, uh, yeah, I've been looking at the F-Sign stuff. Uh, there was a big bombing in Iran. That's interesting. Uh, ISIS claimed it, as well as um, the scientific advancements for this year, uh, of last year. There's been lots of videos on that, and both in astronomy and uh, in other fields. Pretty, It was a pretty impressive year, actually. It, so yeah, I want to go Marianne into perfect. the Iran bombing that they don't because, show I, that saw Iran bombing because I saw a little but thing on we're it on,
1: X. on Twitter but i but yeah. i i don't know anything about it but i i'm not i don't know anything
0: about it under the uh, trump administration uh we took out uh solomon and he was uh, basically the republican guard the republican guard is like uh the elite military force uh, it's uh, of the uh, iranian uh, military forces and uh they they basically um he was like one of the generals of of the republican guard and basically these guys, it's, it's weird because the new function of militaries in the Middle East and Africa and stuff is that they also um, uh, start to accumulate businesses and uh, economic uh, powers within the country. So like Egypt, uh, their military actually has like tons of corporations that they own and control. And uh, in our country, there's actually very clear uh, constitutional limits on those things on what generals can own and stuff while they're also uh, officers in the United States Army. But in those other countries, those aren't clear-cut, and so you can blend those two. So imagine if you're a top general, you can also coerce people into signing over corporations or ownership parts and eventually acquiring these companies. That's what a lot of uh, Egypt's generals have done over the decades, and Iran has taken to a whole nother level because they have um, the religious establishment backing the Republican Guard. And so they basically own like massive, powerful corporations in Iran as well. So it's like if the army owned a lot of the apples as well. So they're like almost undefeatable. And uh, so, uh, uh, Soleiman was known for both connecting the companies as well as the military side. And he also was spreading, uh, those uh, militias, uh, Shia militias all throughout the Middle East from Syria to Iraq to Iran. It's called the, uh, Crescent I believe they call it or something like that. And it's like from Syria to Iraq to Iran. And that's where the Shia militias have spread. And he was a big uh, strategic uh, leader of those. And uh, those have caused trouble and American deaths both in the Iraq war for us. Those militias uh, caused casualties for Americans in Iraq war, as well as in Syria with the Syria civil war that caused hell of chaos. Those Shia militias uh, were causing havoc as well. Uh Hezbollah is one of the most biggest uh known uh backers of mm-hmm. Iranian Shia militia groups. And uh Soleiman was Soleiman was uh has many meetings with Hezbollah leaders and has handshake, you know, footage of him with uh all these guys. So under the Trump administration, uh because of the troubles his uh plans had caused us, they drone struck striked him. They actually uh completely just extra legally targeted him. And like like Osama bin Laden type thing, they just totally took him out. Um, I believe it was in Iraq and uh, it was just like a street in Iraq and they just uh, did American drone strike uh, and took him out in a car. So uh, anyways, he has a now a big, of uh, course, Iran went all out and they had this big tomb built for him and he's a big uh, a hero of the revolution and et cetera, et cetera. So he's all this big thing. And so at the celebrations for Soliman. Uh, that's where this happened and everyone was having a uh, big uh, meet and greet at Suleiman's tomb and uh, the thing that's interesting about it is those Shiite militias, yes they were targeting Western and American forces, but what are the two branches in Islam? Mm -hmm. Sunni and Shia, right? And uh, ISIS, ISIS is uh, Sunni and is uh, basically often refers to the Shia as like heretics or uh, yeah, yeah. other degrading things, and yeah, uh, yeah. so the Shia the Shia militias attacking the Sunnis they definitely caused casualties for the Sunnis, and so the the ISIS uh, detonated a bomb uh, for the Suleiman Shia uh, at at their event. That's what that's what basically is uh, so far has come out about it. Is ISIS was striking back? The Sunni okay, ISIS was, was striking back if on. It on that that was, if it had to do with the Sunni if um, it had
1: to do with the Sunni NC yeah, that was going to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, my, yeah, next question, exactly my next yeah,
1: question but you answer that one my next question but you answered that one
0: yeah that's it's... what underlies it that's what underlies it you know Iran of course first blamed Israel because of what's going on as well as America and, and also uh, America mm-hmm. did kill Solomon. so uh, you know there is that underlying but uh, when America did it they also didn't hide it or just uh, say they did, weren't involved with it so if America was involved with it which uh, attacking civilians is usually not the uh, MO, um, you know, I think they would own up to it or at least, um, you know, have some evidence leading towards it. It seems at this point, everyone's kind of uh, agreed that it's ISIS. And, um, you know, there's there's a little bit of Sunni in Iran. And of course, they're like a, um, a, uh, a minority that's very um, oppressed. So they're like an oppressed minority in the country. And so any Sunnis they could find and even People who uh, compo- compose as Shia, uh, they were able to get close enough to the events to uh, set off some remote detonated bombs in the um, in the uh, festivities. There's footage of it, and you could see like some bombs go off and everybody's running and screaming and everything. But it's um, it's it's pretty crazy, and it's but it's par for the course in this Sunni Shia. I've seen this since before America invaded Iraq. This was happening, and before anybody America saw on the radar. This was already happening between them out there uh, on their own, and it will continue to happen long after we're not even yeah, there that... anymore. So um, that's that's yeah, like a, that... a Muslim thing, yeah, a specifically Muslim uh, thing. Who was the who was the president uh, of Western the...
1: Iraq? Who was the president before nine uh, eleven? Iraq before nine eleven? Saddam. Oh, uh, so when uh, people well, were Saddam. saying that Saddam, Saddam was, was yeah. Saddam. Mm-hmm. So committing so genocide people against that Saddam Saddam people, was, was, that was another instance genocide where actually. That was the another. Sunnis and the Shiites, actually. The Sunnis, yeah. Sunnis. and the Shiites.
0: Yeah, exactly. Sunnis, yeah. Are the, um, Sunnis are the minority in Iraq. The Shia actually make up the majority. And it was it was like, what if a Saddam, who is a Sunni, uh, got in power and then oppressed all the majority of the country and he did it by total violence and kept them all in check by just pure uh, violence? Because they were totally outnumbered. And they had to. that's often when you see countries act like this. It's because they' uh the tribe that's against them is the majority, and the only way to hold them down at least they think is to uh be as as ruthless as possible uh It does work sometimes and other times it doesn't you know so uh but it, in Saddam's case, it actually uh yeah had nothing to do with uh uh less like uh, isis like religious dogma and had more to do with uh sunni shia yeah. tribal uh dogma than um yeah, than, than, it... you know, that. The party it, he was involved with—I'm uh, trying to think of the party he was in—they were actually considered more like closer to fascists than uh, like a, a religious Al Qaeda gotcha. ISIS-based group. Um, gotcha. Uh, what's what was the name of Saddam's group? Let me see. Saddam's uh, Hussein's uh, political group. They had uh, followers in uh, all over the all over the Middle East, and uh, they were part oh, oh Baathism. Yes. So you might have read before like Ba'athism. It was like an Arab. It was it was basically like Arab nationalism. And so a kind of, you know, like like Nazis was German nationalism. Right. So so the Arab nationalism was like uh, Arab nationalists, but these were like extreme nationalists. So they were actually much more secular and non-religious. And that's why, ironically, Saddam was actually one of the biggest prosecutors of ISIS and Al Qaeda. And ISIS didn't exist back then, but Al Qaeda, the Salafi group, uh, religious. So the the people who have grown since he was uh, removed in Iraq, uh, he actually suppressed uh, more than anybody uh, because he was more of an Arab nationalist, like a uh, German nationalist, and and just like uh, the Nazis suppressed Catholicism in the country, uh, they kept religion under control, and so did uh, the Baathist party. So ironically, by removing Saddam. We created a whole plethora of the religious side of uh, the groups to uh expand um they were always there, and they have been for you know a thousand years but uh the ironically by removing him we allowed it to really um take off and um that was that was a big uh big problem for us ever since <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. no that is that
1: is for sure that something.
0: All things considered, I have never understood exactly. I can't ever really get to a point of justifying why we, uh, removed Saddam. You can't help but think it's just related to Bush, uh, senior, uh, finally finishing the job from the first goal for, but, uh, that is a really stupid fucking reason to, uh, do what we did in the, in the second 2003 goal for, uh, because basically he was, in a lot of ways a counterweight to all the problems that we have to deal with in the Middle East now. He acted as a counterweight to them. And by removing that counterweight, we've essentially multiplied our problems uh instead. And I just really can't justify like why he he certainly had nothing to do with nine eleven. That's been conclusively proved. The weapons of mass destruction is the famous thing that even ruined the reputation of one of our best generals. Um uh he was he was the main general during the uh, Bush junior administration was it the, they, uh, was it the black guy yeah and they asked him to go oh. they asked and he had a great he had a great reputation all the way up until that point and they asked him to go to the UN and lie to the UN to say that there's weapons of mass destruction based on really really weak evidence uh and it's totally proved to be completely completely false so yeah i know exactly uh-huh.
1: who you're talking about his uh in five minutes, we'll be talking about something else, and we'll think of his name.
0: We'll remember his name in five minutes. Uh, I can look it up, but i just uh but I'll look it up in a minute but the um the interesting thing about that too is that uh what I found fascinating is reports that came out uh data reports that were classified that came out after nine eleven and everything showed that the uh, our rcia people in Iraq at the time were begging the state department not to invade. They were saying, please don't do this. You're going to destroy the entire structure of this, and it's going to cause a whole bunch of shit. We know that the Al-Qaeda and the Salafis have power in certain areas. If you take Saddam out, it's going to allow these to peripherate, and they sure as, sure as shit did as soon as uh, we did that. So total disaster. Actual CI people who actually lived there and worked there on the ground said, do not do this. And we, the State Department arrogantly was like, no, nah, we got this. It's fine. We're going to bring peace to them. Even though there hasn't been an Iraq for centuries, we'll do it in less than ten years. You know that's the kind of arrogance that happens sometimes that I wish America was wiser with that stuff sometimes so,
1: so that is consistent with some things that I've heard from uh former military contractors, former seals, former mm-hmm. uh, just people who were like in Baghdad in Iraq before we invaded in two thousand. Um, three, what? Two
0: thousand two, two thousand three. Yep. Mm-hmm. And
1: they were saying that it was a lively, fun place. It was like mm-hmm. a Las Vegas where there was an economy, there was a nightlife, there was people. It was normal. It wasn't mm-hmm. how we think of today as this desert, war-ridden, terrorist-ridden place.
0: Yes.
1: So, so yeah, that's a. Yeah.
0: It's, it's one, one of those that's never
1: consistency coming out now that like, you know, right. we we fucked up. We shouldn't have done it, done
0: that. I I think so, yeah. And the history books, I look at it in that long term and says, like, what are the history books gonna say a hundred years from now? And that's gonna be one that that was a major strategic blunder while America was in its unipolar era. So it's like we're in that era where for a while, just for a short couple decades, we were a superpower unmatched, no one was even close. And uh during that time was was that. And we just made a huge, uh, silly error in that. And you really can't, like I said, the hard part I have with is like, I can't see the justification. If you remove the weapons of mass destruction, which again, a lot of those CIA reports said that that was scant at best. It said that they were trying to do so, trying to refine uranium. But uh, they had even said in the reports that were class- declassified that Israel jets destroyed the plants. With uh, like with strikes that they were refining the uranium mass, so they were dead in the water in terms of making a nuke, basically. And mm-hmm. so the reason we went in there is just hard to justify. And you know, I don't like to go into conspiracies, but you can't help but wonder: Is uh, it was it a, a feeling of Bush Senior finishing the job from the first Gulf War? And uh, you know that that makes some logical sense, but. That's completely unjustifiable for all the havoc and blood and treasure that we poured into it. Because even the the blood that we poured into it is nothing compared to the treasure. I mean, trillions of dollars poured into Iraq. And the worst part is, is there's a, a good example of this in history where it's useful and where it's not useful. So after World War II, we bombed Japan and Germany far into more ruins than Iraq ever was during our invasion of Iraq. Japan and Germany were, I mean, there's pictures of it and their cities are just an absolute ruin. They're totally destroyed. And so we did the um, Marshall Plan uh, after, after World War II and the Marshall Plan literally paid for um, their uh, reconstruction. So that was the same idea for Iraq. And uh, the difference is though, is the people of Germany and Japan wanted to rebuild their land and they they took they took that money and and built it up into uh the third and fourth largest economies in the world using using our money essentially, and of course they got their own economies going eventually, but uh we had bombed them so into ruin that if they had to rebuild from their own, that would have taken much longer their economies would have been much weaker et cetera so uh that is a case where uh american foreign American foreign aid actually made a huge impact to uh, boost our allies. And now Japan and Germany are third and fourth largest economies in the world, uh, one of the most peaceful and stable areas, and also anchors in the world against Russia in the West and China in the East. So we've built strategic assets, essentially, with our uh, foreign aid money. Iraq, though, we poured, uh, I believe, adjusted for inflation, more money into Iraq yeah. and because and because of that the warlords literally have palaces and shit all over from Qatar to Abu Dhabi they have shit all over and and they got they got super rich and had a wonderful time but Iraq is still Iraq is still a ruined mess and uh, the people still suffer and if anything it's worse than when Saddam was there so didn't, we're all about we getting returns
1: didn't we get a return on our investment of rebuilding Japan and Germany but yet oh, we've yes. We're out trillions of dollars in Iraq Correct. and Afghanistan.
0: Correct, and the difference both is is you really had to know the history of the countries, and uh, Iraq is really two countries that are split into uh, Sunni and Shiite, and both of an Arab and a Persianized half. It's not really a full country, and you know, like I said, the CIA guys are saying like it's not going to be like Germany, it's not going to be like Japan. So, yeah, it's just it just. Um, it's one of those, you know. Hey, what's what's Winston doing? He
1: puts his head under my blinds so I can't see. But I I think uh, there's a delivery or some sort. He's chasing off the mailman. Exactly.
0: Nice. Yes. Oh, yeah, I do miss a dog that's a, a dogs are a great uh you know humans spent ten thousand plus years building a bond with dogs, so it's like humans and dogs man all He's the way the door. that's a different thing i mean they we have a bond with them, but they they really don't need us <laughs> for a, for a lot of times the uh, dogs and uh a uh, man was like we depended on each other to survive in certain areas. So that was, oh, yeah. uh, you know, there's like a bond there. That's uh
1: unlike any other
0: animal I'd say, but yeah, the, the, uh, the, the, fas- the the aspects of Saddam is actually fascinating because he was so painted as a villain here that if you start to go into it and you realize what's going on, like it's, it's so crazy and so complicated and layered. Uh, but, um, uh, that's not to say I'm not going to I'm not going to coat or uh, make any excuses for Saddam and the Baathists at all. They were utterly ruthless to the Shiite that they dominated. They were, and not just the Shiite. Anyone that even there's stories like anyone even remotely said the wrong thing at a meeting got shot and executed the next day. Like it's just so classic, worthless dictator bullshit. But in a country that's broken already, he was holding it together out of fear and stuff. That it did have an economy, like like those guys were saying, uh, especially forces and stuff. There was a functioning society, somewhat, despite it being held together by fear of the dictator. Uh, it was at least something. Now it's just a broken ruin, uh, more or less. And uh, that was after it's a broken ruin after we poured a four trillion dollars or whatever the amount is uh, into it. So uh, the thing about this frustrating is again, first why you removed him, but also. There's some smart people in the CIA, the State Department, stuff like that. The fact that they didn't know Iraq's history enough to know exactly what they were buying is you are going to buy Germany, which is largely ethnically homogeneous, homogeneous largely the same religion. Uh, Japan, same exact thing. Uh, rebuilding those kind of countries uh, with aid money is way, way easier than it is in a country that's basically split within itself and uh, can't really function as it is. And that's going to take uh, decades of uh, leadership. We, if we were planning to stay there, like I was going to say, uh, many times, if we're going to go to Iraq, the only way it's going to work, we stay for like 50, 200 years. And of course, everyone thought that was ridiculous, you know, and it, it was, uh, we left in like 10 years, but or 20 years, but the, uh, I mean, if you're going to build a project like a nation building, that's a, a nation that's that broken, you can't just show up and bomb everything and leave. They, you know, you're not going to fix anything. Uh, and you're going to literally have to be daddy for like 50 years until everyone figures it out to be adults themselves and figures it out. But until then, you just have tribal warlords that are trying to get one up on each other. And that's pretty much what uh, Iraq is right now, is uh Shiite militias versus Sunni militias versus the federal government. And the federal government is often the weaker partner in the three. So uh, the weaker, uh, weaker of the three. So that works out good sure. for them.
1: So at what point do we say that you know Dwight Eisenhower was correct and that we should fear the military-industrial complex? And correct. then you have Julian Assange talking about how we would use these wars merely to um, uh, oh, funnel money and then take money. Mm-hmm. What is that called? We're essentially just washing money from one right. hand to another hand through by spending these trillions of dollars, mm-hmm. keeping them in, you know, That's keeping right. their profits flowing there right. just throughout, you know, our entire lifetimes.
0: That's definitely, Casey, made for that. Uh, one that was going around a lot when the war first happened in a few years after the main uh, 2003 to 2006 was that uh, it was all for Iraq's oil money. And, of course, uh, as we've talked about before, uh, our dependence on foreign oil has only decreased as the years have gone by. So we don't depend more on Saudi and Iraqi oil. We depend less on it. We actually do fracking uh, projects that rival the production here, so we can almost produce enough for ourselves. Uh, The problem is we don't, like, in a a market that's trade with global markets – uh, Saudi and, oil, and Middle Eastern oil money is still going to be a big factor for a long time because even if we could produce our own amount, that doesn't mean that the whole rest of the world's money, uh, prices of oil won't shoot up and affect our oil markets because it's all connected. You know, it's a global oil market. So even though we can produce our own, we still have to work with them to keep the prices down. Otherwise, you know, we'll still be paying a lot more because we're all connected to the oil market. You can imagine in a free market, if we had much cheaper oil than the rest of the world, because the Saudis aren't producing, then they're going to buy our oil super cheap from us. And of course, what are we going to do? Raise our oil prices. So, so the whole thing is to keep the the overall prices low by keeping keeping Saudi production up. And uh, that's one that you know would really help. That I just wish would. I wish this country would get its shit together. So much. I'm, I don't even want to hate on them. I want them to get their shit together. And that's Venezuela. Because actually, the largest proven oil reserves on Earth is Venezuela, and if they were producing even half as much as Saudi Arabia, this whole thing would be a whole different strategic discussion. But they—I mean—they've only gone downhill since the '60s. That's what's so crazy is they—they were actually considered a rich and middle-income uh, country, doing well, and their production as well as their economy has only just flatlined ever since, and not flatlined but just declined. And, and it's just—it's just. It's just thanks to socialist uh, policies and perfect yet another modern example why uh, socialist forward countries are uh, disasters, they just don't work
1: But <laughs> we're, we're going to make it work in the United States because we'll do it different
0: somehow, they always say that every <laughs> single time, despite the different culture, despite the different religion despite the different part of the world they always say that every single time but it just doesn't ever seem to work out that way but, yeah, Venezuela would be such a strategic uh, advantage for um, the West and America and, and especially if um, they could uh, drastically reduce, increase their oil production and put pressure on the Saudis and the Russians and others in OPEC who want to – they want to limit production as much as possible because what does that ultimately mean for them? Higher oil prices, right? Yep. So. Yeah. So if there was another big, yeah, but it was money. If there was another big player who was actually producing in large amounts like they are, then they'd have to contend with them for the total oil market. And uh, so, anyways, but back to my point about that was that the whole thing is that we went to Iraq to take their oil. And there's, I've never seen any definitive proof that that's been the case. Most of the refineries and factories we tried to build there were bombed by ISIS or Shia militias or never got even remotely functional or even at a third of the capacity they were planned for. So any idea that we just suddenly showed up with Chevron and started pumping it out of the ground is the kind of a pol- a political leftist-rightist delusions that aren't based in reality, but they make for great clickbait-like uh, things. There were so many articles and so many, like, um you know, politicians and comedians using that as a one-liner and on CNN or Fox News, that it was about stealing their oil and the the more the more accurate thing would be related to uh Raytheon and uh Lockheed Martin and uh the companies like Halliburton that yeah. got no bid contracts uh that is uh, both less patriotic uh and as well as more uh politically contentious to admit that perhaps uh, the advantage was um to do that with that said, uh, it was probably one of the worst investments overall because if it was for to make these companies money, but to put the U.S. Uh, federal budget into so much debt for that, that would be uh, an extremely bad investment, uh, no matter how you slice it. And even especially as these are U.S. based companies, they'll have to deal with the burden of the federal but, uh, deficit. Uh, so, uh, it would just, it, it 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 could very well be the case, but uh, it, it would be an absolutely horrible. It wouldn't be smart or strategic or some tricky thing that they're doing at, at a speaker level or something. That would be an absolute blunder. It was actually a huge, vast waste of treasure that we could have uh, allocated uh, to building. Like you could have done the same thing and said you're going to build an F twenty five, and uh, and and then had billions upon billions lost in that. Than what it went to in Iraq and to pay for Halliburton no big contracts it was it was a vast like you could have done that differently and it definitely would have had better um, return on uh, both Americans deficit because ultimately it is it is the taxpayer budget that's paying for these uh, yep. wars right so yep. uh, what you're, what's essentially
1: power, yeah
0: the the Assange kind of co- concept is that they used uh, federal money to pay for these, uh, uh, military industrial companies. And, uh, that would kind of create a self like mo- money was changing, exchanging hands. And like I said, it, it, it totally could be the case. Absolutely. Don't know. Uh, we don't have enough information, but it would be a horrible, horrible investment. And they could have done that other ways. Like I said, like they have those bloated military programs all the time, you know, where you find out they paid, like, what was that one famous one where they paid such and such 1.2 million for a, toilet seat or something, stuff like that. Yeah, like you nice. could, mis- you can misallocate it in other ways, uh, instead of going to a country, causing, uh, I think you end up, end up being like, the figure is different. It goes from 350 to 500,000, uh, people died uh, of Iraqis and uh, about 5,000 Americans died. So, um, uh, it also is a reflection. I think we also should remind ourselves that, um, the uh, military itself was not uh, incompetent. Uh, to only get 5,000 casualties in a foreign country like that is uh, remarkable and shows the actual ability of the military, given the constraints that were put on it. Uh, but uh, that's like – so like the difference between like say uh, the Russian military and why it has problems is too many of its problems where the uh, a sergeant or a higher level up lieutenant or something will take payoff bribes using that tax money. He has a nice palace, but the uh artillery shells are not available because he used that money for other things. I have no evidence that I've ever seen of that with our military. Our military is actually pretty lean and mean that's what makes it the most feared, but it's also um it just so massive in spending that it can spend so much as well that uh you do have uh situations where they just oh we we found we didn't uh, spend this money and we spent way more than we should and also that programs that really didn't have any chance of ever getting off the ground. They spent a bunch of money on it anyways. So stuff like that. So they 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 misspend money too. I'm not saying Americans don't American military doesn't, but I will say when you look at the performance on the field that's like 5,000 casualties over 10 years, that's uh that's remarkable and uh is is actually a testament to actually how well performing the military is even though during that time when we were growing up there was all these documentaries and videos talking about how terrible the American military is in Iraq and all this stuff, uh, that made for good field ba click based stuff, but, uh, it wasn't, hmm. that wasn't true. Uh, how much, what are we at with just the estimated casualties in uh, Russia for just this war already uh, a couple hundred thousand. So that just shows an example of, um, at least a hundred thousand casualties. So that just shows like the scale Although the, the armies are different. It does show that, um, uh, to only get five thousand over ten years, wow, pretty uh, pretty remarkable. So uh, that's that's kind of a, a you know a side tangent, but it certainly wasn't. It doesn't seem to be about the oil. It definitely could be about the military-industrial complex. That I will mm-hmm. concede that it could definitely using it for
1: money laundering. That's the actual right. term I was looking for.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then we definitely have to get making changes with our military production because i believe that Mm -hmm. it's it's either 10 to 1 or 100 to 1 of how much it costs us to make our ammunition compared to russia Mm -hmm. it's like russia can make these bullets for 10 bucks we the united states charges a thousand dollars to make the same bullet for sure or it's russia makes it for a hundred bucks and we charge a thousand but it's like the fact that we're running out of ammunition to supply ukraine supply, Israel, and the fact that Russia can make the same one for 10 cents on the dollar or one penny on the dollar.
0: That's that's a testament to how, uh, by all accounts, they would guess that Russia would not even still be in the war. And the fact that they are is uh, pretty impressive. And that is because of those exact kind of figures. With that said, of course, there's a fine line. Uh, The uh, Atamax, the ATMA MCs. Uh, that have vastly greater range than any of Russia's equipment, it costs a lot more for a reason, right? And that's why, and it's, it's it literally the Russia has no counter to that, and that's why Ukraine wants those the most. Uh, but um, that's one of those examples. But like you said, like with a bullet, which is a bullet, and has been manufactured since before the world wars, uh, that should not be costing what it costs, uh, say, produced these days. And the ability for Russia to do that, with that said, you know, like I said, there's, there's missiles and uh, weapon systems that we have that are simply better and than Russia's and they cost a lot more though. And so, uh, where to finally tune that budget is interesting. But of course, all this does have some allocation back to the fact that we let the rust belt develop and we're not making those bullets in the manufacturing hubs of the United States. You know, we, we've outsourced it all to China for quick bucks and, um, and East Asia and, you know, now we're finding that it's really difficult to get it and scale that we want because we can't uh, homegrown our own factories and, and uh, scale them up like we did during World War II. Uh, of course, it's well-known during World War II, they literally took car car uh, and heavy uh, machinery factories and literally switched them over to tanks and planes and stuff. Like you literally already had the capacity and you could just switch the capacity. From what I understand, it's not that easy these days because of the, economic decisions that we made as a country. Uh yeah. To do. It was
1: that, that thing that, you know, FDR didn't win World War II. It was mm-hmm. uh Ford Motor Company because mm-hmm. of just how much the tanks were able to produce For sure. just we out we were able to outproduce everybody else in the world.
0: For sure. Uh, there there's a documentary about uh it's really fascinating. I'll find it and send it to you. And it was about the few the one time that Hitler was recorded without his knowledge, so he wasn't giving like a pre-planned speech, and he wasn't given like a pre-ordained political propaganda and It was literally him on a train talking to one of his advisors, and one somebody in the meeting had uh, snuck in a recording recorder and was able to get away with it and uh, it was it was literally the, the recording is very short, but it's a Hitler thing. He was shocked how that he never would have thought the Americans could make so many tanks, and that was yeah. literally like they had their their pre estimates for how many tanks they could have made. We we shattered it. We absolutely completely shattered it. So uh, it was far and above that amount. And he was talking about I can't believe they made 110 Shermans or something like that. So 110 thousand Shermans. So it was like yeah, something like that. So like, they were like totally bewildered and knew they were screwed because there's no way they could ever compete with those numbers. So. That was the um, underlying thing of the discussion, but yeah, yeah, even though just...
1: even though the Germans had a superior tank, we were right. able to just produce ours. Freaking pop 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 pop, getting those right. things rolling.
0: The T thirty four on the Russian side, as Soviets, was actually the exact uh, example of that as well. The uh, Panzer. You know, four through they had their weaknesses, but on average they were better. And there was many cases where they would take out three to our tanks and even more in some cases. Some famous ones like ten to one where they got them, uh, they got a bunch of tanks in a an alley and got them all cornered and kept just just shooting them, shooting them taking them out. But uh, the T thirty four was the Russian tank that was it was it was surprisingly well engineered, and also they could just stamp it out, and they just stamped out. So many of them that even with the tiger and the elephant tanks that the Germans were coming up with, the heavier tanks, they had, they just couldn't, they couldn't stop the wave of T-34s coming at them. So that was a a crucial, crucial factor. We should really consider that in the things of now, uh, when we're having trouble supplying just a few small countries right now, (laughs) we should definitely consider that in a war with China, uh, or Russia if we have trouble just supplying some, some middle-range countries uh, with enough ammunition right now? Uh, are we going to be able to have the amount that we need later on, for sure, in case of a much bigger conflict? Uh, uh, that's the worry I always have with China, is similar to Germany, is their better equipment uh, allowed them to make great gains at first. But eventually they were overwhelmed and you could see that that could potentially happen with America, with China. If we make some great gains at first and then eventually their their numbers, the weight of their numbers start to um move against us. And without having some manufacturing at home here, uh yeah, that's you know, that's that all makes it all the more um all the more the case. With that said, I was watching Oppenheim recently, and I really don't – like, we forget that amid, amongst all these current 21st century wars, like, there is, like, super nukes out there. And, like, all the major countries have them, China, Russia, and us, and France, and the U.K., and uh, Germany doesn't, but France has plenty, actually. And um, these are all countries with, like, hydrogen super nukes, fusion nuclear weapons that are – basically will destroy all the biggest cities in the world. Moscow. Beijing. It doesn't matter really the city. It's not, it's, they They will absolutely demolish them. And I think, what was it, the last count that America, America has reduced them since the Cold War, but I believe we still have about 2,000 of them. So I don't even think there's that many major world cities uh, as a matter of fact uh, in the entire world that are like massive cities that would require hydrogen bombs like that. The uh, other mm-hmm. ones you could just do with regular fission bombs. So you really have to wonder, like, how is a war with China, like another world war, how's that really going to work with uh, nuclear weapons? You could, of course, there's two avenues you could see, but there has been some smart scientists that have said that basically um, if you do the math, it's just a matter of time before we nuke ourselves because of that probability. Uh, The longer time goes on, the greater percentage that somebody's going to use them and so for that reason it's just a matter of time before they get used and uh, I would like uh, of course I would like that not to be the case but you got to see how it would go if uh, China or America's losing the way to change the the dynamic would be to nuke stuff so yeah absolutely insane so I really just was hoping that we would find a way to solve these problems economically through economic competition going in the future, and that was kind of the promise of a nuclear uh, world: was that uh, the, the the you know the cost of war is so insane at the national nation state level between major powers that uh, you'd have to find a way to to do it. But I don't know; it depends on the person sure. if you think we're heading towards war with China or not.
1: So I, I heard a statistic that throughout all of history, recorded history, we believe there's less than 200 years of peace. So that means in all other time, there has been war going on. And that's what we know of, okay? So sure. how naive are we, not what you're saying, because you're saying is much more of a reality if you base it off of historical events, how naive is it or how optimistic is it for us to say, how can we involve all these other major countries, China, Russia, um, in Middle East, Iraq, Iran's of the world, into an economy where everybody is benefiting to reduce probability of war? Because if you look at our own country in the United States, Crime usually goes down when economic flourishment is going up and everybody's making more money. There's no reason to commit more crimes.
0: Stuff like that, exactly.
1: So, how realistic is it to get them involved? And is it just an ego thing amongst the people, the powers that be in our own countries and maybe their countries? Or is it just what I guess, how do we come up with that solution and what is the viability?
0: For sure, yeah. Russia's the the great example of that, and uh, it's both in in both ways. So after the bitterness of the Cold War, the Americans couldn't help but gloat, and with the collapse of the, of the Soviet Union, they couldn't help but uh, really uh, treat uh, Russia as you're now third rate and uh, you don't count, and try to write them off at every advantage instead of embracing them into the European community into Western Europe and saying, look, you're, you're part of the group now and uh, join with us. They uh, largely said, well, you're, you're no longer an issue. So you go do whatever you're going to do out there and, you know, good luck. And, and and that was the worst strategic thing we could have done. We could have embraced them and said, become more part of the West, uh, become uh, more trade interlinked with us and, uh, and your economy would flourish. Uh, with that said of course um that's the issue i always struggle with with uh former soviet union countries in eastern europe is they have the uh they have the uh, economy they got they're part of the eu uh they got the resources but their output compared to western europe countries is always significantly lower and it's actually from what i've seen as far as i can tell If if socialism teaches a culture and that national culture is what has to be eradicated, and that's not something you can just remove by saying the Soviet Union's over or saying that we have a new government. These are cultural habits that you literally don't spend the same. You literally do different things with what you do spend. You often – there's lots of uh, nepotism where often you – the factory owner, instead of going for most efficiency, is looking for a handout and these kind of things that you teach.
1: It's the the Indian reservation concept Hmm. where we have created a culture, not a culture that they had previously, but we've created a culture through the reservations of socialism that doesn't actually promote anyone trying to move forward and uh, create a greater economy, flourishment within that culture. Um,
0: because of the injustices of the past, there's a lot of things that already uh, are, in many ways, economically gained for their advantage if they were able and willing to take advantage of it. And you could see a few tribes are doing that. Like there's a tribe uh, in uh, the in the in the south, I think, and they have a lot of uh, oil on their land and stuff. And man, they're I mean they're uh, all going to college and stuff like that, and they're educating, going to STEM degrees and stuff like that. Very impressive but uh you're not seeing that enough on the reservations even though they have federal they have federal funding they got all these kind of programs that could in many ways um accelerate uh their development and uh so right. they these are but that that's that part that like that we never talk about when we're talking about politics and stuff is uh because it 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 stabs at something that's uh emotionally tender for people and that's the culture of things and, uh, and Eastern Europe is to me that classic example. Countries like Bulgaria and Hungary and stuff, they by all rights should be flourishing. But because of the remnants of communist behavior that was forced and taught upon them for many generations, they just can't seem to shake like the factory owner getting payouts instead of going for maximum, uh, you know, uh, output. You know, they just can't seem to, um, to shake that, you know. And so Russia couldn't shake that either. And since Russia couldn't shake that either, Putin had to come in and do what he could do and uh, keep the uh, economy going and keep it afloat. We also we often forget that under Yeltsin, this thing was nosediving; Like their, the value of their ruble was just absolutely cratering. So the whole thing, irrespective, West is doing its own thing at this time. It's got all its own stuff going on. It's like, ooh, we're number one. We're like, whoever, you know, this is the 90s. And it's like glory days for America. They're not even concerned with what's happening in Russia. Uh, Chechnya wars were absolutely bloody. And if we were concerned, we would have done something about that, but, uh, we were concerned. So, um, the, uh, the, but, but during that time, Russia on its own, the ruble was just collapsing, going through the roof. And so Putin had to take control and was appointed later on and, you know, ran for president and did all his whole story. Uh, the difficult thing is, is you still have to wonder, like Saddam today, if, Russia wanted to join up on an economic way and say, why don't we open the floodgates of trade between the EU and us? And actually, we get our shit together and institute structural changes instead of the factory owner getting payouts. He gets huge fines for that, et cetera, et cetera, where they too often we have what's called the the ogligarchs in Russia. These guys are basically – they're basically incentivized to take payouts instead of uh, market efficiency, but if they did reform it, if they did reform it, which would be fantastic, because Russia's a huge nation with huge resources, then the EU trade would be vast. I mean, that'd be the EU and Russia trade would be just like boom, dude. That whole region would be booming. Like you said, crime would be down. All those f- economic, you know, figures would be uh, in in green in the green. And uh, you have to wonder, like, why isn't the focus of the Russian state on that instead of trying to take a- another part of land? To the west of it, I understand, like, somewhat the po- to, po- uh, political aspects of it, but if their economy was dynamic, Ukraine would be the least of their concerns. They would have literally no uh, strategic reason to take Ukraine and need to to create this war between NATO and this this uh, battlefield borderline between NATO and uh, Russia. Instead, it could actually be a huge uh, trade dynamic i would say it's more the failure of the russian state to and not the state really the people too to not get the dynamic economy going and uh and and because there's no dynamic economy going besides oil uh you know putin has limited options to keep his uh, the strength of the state alive and one of them is to uh, to do this ukraine thing but it, it's one of those uh, classic examples to me where you could take another route and uh it would be in my mind uh, much more powerful for russia the country to get a dynamic economy trade with the eu huge market in the eu and you have this vast amount of eurasian trade going on right there that that would be i mean that's what we've all hoped for i mean people like me since the cold war since the soviet union collapsed i mean i've i've wanted to see that cuz then your eurasia uh, europe and and um, central Asia and stuff would only be Uh, A great counterweight, much stronger counterweight to China or anybody else who, you know, wanted to get get wily with America. Uh, So, yeah, it's just unfortunate that it played out the way it did. I don't put it all on Putin's shoulders, though. It's things like I said, like the culture of Russia and the Soviet Union. You know, you go there's the, the famous stories where you go down a Russian street and all of a sudden the police have a checkpoint. And the police just need 20 rubles to get past the checkpoint. There's no fixing the roads. It doesn't go to a tax fund. It doesn't go to – it goes to that that police department's pocket, usually the head leader of the police department, and then he trickles down a little bit to the other guys as well. These kind of uh, nepotism structures uh, don't make the system more efficient and, in fact, suck away a lot of market growth that could otherwise you know, that 20 bucks could be to, for him to buy a new, uh, 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 you know, phone or something, you know, a new Apple iPhone or a new, you know, Russian made uh, tech device, you know, stuff like that. It's just that we consume in America just by the, the shit tons. Imagine if a bunch of that extra consumer cash was tucked away into frivolous and not uh, market efficient ways, you know, and that's where that is unfortunate. And I don't want to see that. I don't gloat that Russia's in that position. I would like to see them thrive, and it's just unfortunate yeah, that they too. aren't. And uh, and yeah, Ukraine wouldn't even be a blip on the radar. Ukraine's economy and and population is so small compared to Russia's that it wouldn't even if if Russia had a dynamic economy with flourishing trade with the EU, Ukraine wouldn't even be a factor. In fact, it would just further help boost that trade between the two. Yep. So it wouldn't even it wouldn't even be what it is right now. It would the dynamic could be completely different?
1: Yeah. Well, let's uh let's cap it off right there. Um,
0: for sure. And let's get back to it in a couple of days. Absolutely. Yes. Uh. Yes, indeed. That's I. I yeah. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the Russian thing. Next time, we'll uh. We're gonna go Russia
1: part,
0: Russia part two. part two. We're gonna go Russia part mm-hmm.
1: two. This mm-hmm. is gonna be a two-parter.
0: <laughs> for sure.
1: I'm gonna text. I'll text you, and we'll figure figure out a day to do part two on this, and then wherever sure. it goes from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I hope. Uh, I like I said. I hope the best for Russia. Uh, it's often become politicized on a Democrat and Republican, whether you're like for or against them and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's it just helpful. doesn't make
1: sense to me. That part.
0: So it doesn't make sense. Yeah,
1: I want to do a part two on on this because I have a lot to say about. The Russia situation, but I don't think it needs to be politicized in our country. That, I think, is where we're going wrong.
0: Correct. Correct. I agree. And it's like Iraq. Uh, You really need to know the history of the country before you uh, tangle with them. And I think that was the uh, real error we made with America. There was clearly, based on what happened. A lot of people, a lot of people here, did not understand that country. They didn't know the history mm-hmm. of it. They didn't understand what they were getting into. And we paid a high, very high cost in uh, blood and treasure for that. And we could potentially be doing the same with Russia. We need, we should educate our fellow Americans about Russian history, yep. about how how things went wrong with the Soviet Union, where it's what it's actually like now. And uh, different alternative uh, histories on where it could go differently, like, like I said, with the EU and the expanded trade. That's an alternate history. There's no reason why it couldn't happen. There's zero reasons We're, why it we'll, couldn't
1: happen. We'll have to send uh, this episode and part two to your dad.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes. Uh, that's where is- it has to. Uh, if you come politicize uh, those kind of things. And if you it doesn't make sense to politicize uh, something like that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's it's an interesting, um, interesting thing. But Iraq and Russia have similar things uh, that we have involved uh, ourselves into. But I do want to just cap it off with: there's also an example where foreign aid is not always bad. Uh, Japan and Germany are the quintessential examples of what happens if we spend our money strategically and smartly. We actually gain strengths. True. Instead of lose strength. But you're right. But it's absolutely true uh, with the current, um, you know, Vivek-based uh, concept of foreign aid, where if we're just misspending it and going on onto wild adventures and it doesn't have strategic, smart advantages, then that doesn't help anything either. In fact, just helps our deficit grow. <laughs> yeah.
1: Which so. is not good for us oh, yeah. American people.
0: No. All right, my so- should- no. Sounds good. I'm
1: going to hop off. I'll shoot you a text and we'll plan the follow up.
0: Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. How's that uh uh fast going?
1: Dude, I'm on day four Woo! right now, and uh so I'm probably not as sharp as normal, but uh <laughs> I still got like two and a half days to go.
0: Yeah, it seems fine, man. It seems it seems fine. Yeah, so wow impressive. i,
1: I feel it's I definitely impressive. have a little brain fog. There are some things and some names. For sure. and I'm like, what is this? What is this? What is this? But no, People the next mountains. one, yeah. yeah, I want to do part two with the Russia and uh, I'll make sure I'm sharper and I'll have some things looked up that I want to bring out.
0: Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Well, I'm going to be doing a three day at least coming up here. So I'll try to time it so I don't oh, have God. a time. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, let me know. Thanks, All right. I'll see you.
0: Peace, bro.